hey, this is Zachary Thatcher recording the latest essay from the Thatcher Report. You can read the essays and look at the photos at medium.com slash Thatcher hyphen report. Once again, my last name Thatcher has no middle T, T-H-A-C-H-E-R. That trips people up all the time, so I don't blame them. I wrote and photographed this essay in Charlotte, Vermont in the tail end of August 2020. I'm now recording it in early September 2020, also in Charlotte, Vermont. But as you'll hear, it depicts adventures from across Vermont, upstate New York, and into New York City. All right, here it goes. Dating while running, August 2020, Charlotte, Vermont. You're alone in your car, driving down country lanes that ascend to highways on a summer afternoon, 100 miles until you see her again. Last night, you slept in Hudson, New York, at an Airbnb rental. Like a normal person, you lay down for sleep in the apartment's one bedroom with nice linens and a queen-size bed. You had just driven three hours from Vermont. Hudson is a way station to the city, a chance to break up the drive and enjoy the area as you plot your next move. The apartment has a dozen five-star reviews and costs more than another place which looked crappy, so you splurged. At 11 p.m., you put down your phone and nestled your head, closed your eyes, and then BLAM! An 18-wheeler thundered by your head. SMASH! Another truck roars. Another shakes the apartment. Turns out the Airbnb bedroom faces the street. Turns out the street is the town's truck route. Turns out trucks parade by night. This is all a surprise. As you lay in bed, famished for sleep, you tried not to calculate that for the same money, you could have stayed in a boutique hotel right down the road. You will do anything to guard your sleep, especially before a second date that requires four hours of round-trip driving, because while you've left New York and would be very happy to meet someone in Vermont or the Hudson Valley, the general population of single Jewish women have stayed right there in the city. Not all of them, but enough to make travel necessary. And besides, You've been excited to see her again for over a week because the first date went so well. That was an afternoon drink outside in Morningside Heights when you were crashing at your friend's Maplewood Cabana a mere 30 minutes from the city. Tomorrow will be different. Stakes will be higher, they go up exponentially with each date, and you're coming from much further away. You will need to perform. To perform, you must be rested. To be rested, you must guard your sleep. But trucks have overrun your perimeter. You are defeated. Short interlude. Forget about dating during a global pandemic for a second. You've learned to think of sleep like it's an invisible secret incantation from a brother's grim fairy tale. It either rewards you or reduces you depending on how you perform the rituals each night. And every night you must follow the steps perfectly. You can't forget a single gesture. You must be consistent. You must eat and drink the right things and avoid the wrong things. You must usher comfort and darkness. Most of all, You must create a thick and constant and deep quiet that lasts from dark to after dawn. If you do all this, then the secret fairy tale spell will gift you in the morning with a day effused with optimism and energy. You will be blessed. But if you don't follow all the steps and precautions, if your touch is just a little bit off, if you can't align darkness with comfort and quiet, then a bleary, foggy, deadening curse will massacre your day and harden your mind. No amount of coffee will rescue you. There is no antidote. 
This is why, at one in the morning, after more tractor trailers thrashed the bedroom, you walked to the tiny daybed off the kitchen. It was a slapdash and risky move at this late hour. You closed a bedroom door and then the side room door. You lowered the blinds and gathered the curtains. You put in earplugs and turned on the fan. You said the bedtime Shema, the Hebrew prayer. The magic held. In the morning, you feel like you're in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer musical episode once more with feeling. That's a good thing. I'm not going to attempt to try to sing it right now. By the late afternoon, your brain chemistry is cycling as fluidly and lucidly as your car's inner workings as it holds onto six gear and 2,500 RPM. 50 miles to go. You met her in late July. COVID had leveled off in New York City and New England while it bloomed in places with red hats, yet no masks. You swiped right on Hinge or Bumble or OkCupid, which app doesn't matter. You're on all of them. So is she. Is this because she's eager to meet lots of people or a person? Is she lonely and bored and wants entertainment like the Kurt Cobain single? Is dating a sport she can play over and over again and it's always fun? Or is she looking for a man and dating is the nuisance she endures to find him? You'll never know. You go in blind to aspiration, but in you go. All you know is the game is no longer fun for you. You're like the aging baseball player with legendary stats from way back when. The guy who knows every contour and nuance of the field and respects the game, but has long since ceded his place on the roster to younger players. He'd love to retire if he could make peace with no ring, but he can't, so he doesn't. Turns out we met each other 15 years ago. She was once married to my brother's college friend. It's a tenuous connection we uncovered while first texting over the dating app. In the COVID progression of modern mating, we soon zoomed to get a better sense of each other. During the chat, after some light banter about surviving a global pandemic that's killed millions, we unwrapped the present of our connection, because connections are treasures when it comes to dating strangers. We'll call her Shoshana. I'm leaving out all the other names. She has long blonde curls and fair skin and brown eyes. So, you're the older brother of my ex-husband's friend, right? She asked. Yeah, exactly. I lost touch with him a long time ago, but I'm pretty sure you and I met at some point. I think my brother might have been there too. I'm trying to remember. We were all together for sure, she says. You definitely look so familiar. Which is nice of her because it's 15 years later and my hair has gone from night to dawn. Then it hits me. Yeah, mm, we definitely did meet. I was at your wedding. She leans into her laptop. In tears or laughter, I watched the screen. Nice to see you again, she laughs. One mile to go. Counties glide from Columbia to Ulster to Orange to Rockland to whatever New Jersey is to over the massive gray suspension bridge my grandfather once pointed out to me as he marveled over its engineering. And finally, I'm in New York County, whose imperial title for a slender slip of island seems crazy, egocentric, totally incoherent. But come on, if you've ever been here, which you have, you know it works. Of course there's a county named New York that's the smallest part of the state. Ego and swagger and self-confidence built this town. If there's no Manhattan, there's no New York. All the rest is commentary. I drive in first and second gears under and through and over streets with sharp turns up ramps that merge with boulevards and traffic and stop signs in the tangled, decrepit 20th century urban infrastructure of American cities that makes me savor country life, where there's one road in and all the parking you need. But it's okay. I'm used to driving in this city. I take deep belly breaths as I lose and then find patience. B 
being in the city after time away is like putting on a necktie. You don't do it often enough to be good at it, but after a few wrong turns, your hands remember how to thread the fabric, and you get it right, and then you realize, damn, I look good. I park on an overpass lined with concrete blocks topped with chain-link fencing. The world around me is asphalt and pylons and ironwork and cars and curbs. No trees. There are no meadows or pastures. There are no hay bales waiting for sunset with Monet. I walk to the back of my car, open the trunk, strip off a sweaty t-shirt for a clean button-up, hit the streets, text and then meet Shoshana for the second time at her building again. In New York dating, you normally meet at the bar or restaurant, but I have a car now. Door-to-door service. We chat and don't hug because in COVID, being with people is like being in a museum. We walk and make small talk and then sit outside a restaurant for a boozy interrogation that I pay for even though we're both adults and apparently she comes from money and has a job. All right, so please bear with me as I step on my soapbox here for a moment. The retrograde gender rituals of New York dating used to infuriate me. They really drove me crazy. I'm a son of a feminist single mom, hey mom, who taught her three boys the necessary justice of equality. Treat women with the respect that they are adults who forge their own way, and hopefully, if you're lucky, they'll want to do that forging with you. It's simple. We're all adults. Money shouldn't adjudicate behavior. Money shouldn't be used to assert superiority or inferiority. It shouldn't have any role whatsoever when it comes to romance. Of course, to a certain degree, you can't help yourself from thinking about money, but it really shouldn't be the currency of how we conduct our relationships. But I don't make the rules. I just have to follow them. Since the man is not the father and the woman is not the child, if the man says, hey, we're both working adults and trying to get to know each other, so how about we split it? The answer will be the forever silence of an unrequited text. So I shut up and pay. Is all this questioning why I'm single? Tip of the iceberg, my friend. All right, I am now getting off my soapbox. Thank you for that. So we have dinner, followed by dessert. It's fun. Manhattan is buzzy and there are almost no cars anywhere. It's amazing. Sitting outside, it's perfect. People here in New York come in way more sizes, colors, shapes, and genders than the all-white Subaru and L.L. Bean crew in Vermont. I love it. The young waitress wears a mask and I feel strange going inside the empty restaurant to use the bathroom. It's creepy. Then I walk Shoshana home through city streets that border an uptown park for a few blocks. So there are a few trees. We wear masks and take them off and put them back on again. It's okay. We're doing our best. It's hot and humid, and you can hear crickets every once in a while. It feels good to walk with her. I don't know what she's thinking. I'm thinking about how this could work. She has a son. He's 13. I'd have to get a house in Westchester because I'm done with city life. For me, it always feels better taking off the necktie. If things work out, it'll be a long and funny story of how we met at her wedding. I want at least one kid, no idea if that's in the cards with her, but I'm just musing, imagining. We arrive at the door of her doorman building. It's been a long night of talk and memory and stories. I ask if it's okay to hug her goodbye. Their forbidden COVID touch seems impossible in a world where handshaking is long forgotten, but she says yes, and we do. There's something there. I feel something beyond words. I ask if it's okay to kiss her. This feels like jumping out of an airplane hurtling through space in the wrong direction. She says yes. Parachute opens. The air is muffled and clear, and it takes a good long while to come down to Earth. Man, I just have to say, that felt so good. It had been a long time. 
She goes into her building and I walk back to my car to drive two hours back to Hudson, 100 miles in reverse from New York, then wherever New Jersey, then Rockland, then Orange, then Ulster, then Columbia counties. The highways are dark and empty and dry, thankfully. I set up my bed in the side room because the trucks will start at midnight and my magic secret ritual needs tending. I do it well and I sleep. The next day I meet up with my cousins, Simon, Sarah, and Molly, in a river outside Bennington, Vermont, and then I finish the drive up to Charlotte. I'm planning to return to New York to see her again. Date three, stakes get higher. A few days later, she texts me to say, let's be friends. Sigh. Today, I will drive to Stowe for a date with an architect who lives in Cambridge. I will buy her lunch as we commingle interrogation with entertainment and sustenance. We, ate, we may even have fun. Date one. Okay, so this didn't make it to the essay, but as a postscript, I did drive out to Stowe, Vermont, and met a um, lovely young architect who normally lives in Cambridge, Massachusetts. We had a very nice time. After, I don't know, two hours of walking around and eating lunch and enjoying ourselves, she uh, mentioned the Republican National Convention, which was happening at the time. I didn't say anything. She then said that she watches Fox News to keep an open mind, and I completely lost it. I said my mind is not open to misogyny and racism, and the date went south from there. I did follow up with her to apologize for losing my cool, because that's never good. She basically said, have a nice life. So dating during COVID is almost as awesome as dating during not COVID, but um, I wanted to share it with you what's going on in my life, and I really appreciate you for listening. You can follow me on social media. I have an email version of this that's going to go out at some point, and uh, I just appreciate your time and attention. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.
gonna break great, oh, oh, be my friend.